0: Well, if you have your Bibles, I hope that you can grab them and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we've been in a a, a mini-series called Revealed, and uh, we'll be in the the book of Philippians. It's in the New Testament, we'll be there this morning. Now, I'm going to ask you a question this morning that you already have an answer to, and you don't even know the question. You answer this question every time you wake up. You answer this question every time you you purchase something. You answer this question every single day. In fact, if I were to follow you home, I'm not going to do that. But if I were to follow you home and we reviewed your taxes, we would see laid out before us the answer to this question. In fact, we would... Even be able to know that by just looking at your calendar or your text messages or your emails. The the list goes on and on. How we can get some context clues as to the answer to this question. The question is simply this. What I want most in my life. This is what I want most in my life. In fact, I I asked my 10-year-old daughter yesterday and... She, I asked her that, I said, what do you want most in life? And she said, I'm not going to give you an answer because you're going to use it in your sermon. <laughs> I, I'm not, that's literally what she said. I said, I, I am, so go ahead and give me an answer. So she looked at me and she said, I, 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 she said, dad, I know this is so silly, but I just want a fast pass at Six Flags. If you don't know what a fast pass is, it just means you can skip ahead to all the rides and she don't want to stand in line. She just knows how, uh, I call it frugal, but she says cheap, I really am. She just wants a fast, now look, a fast pass is fine when you're 10, but if you were a 40-year-old adult, that's all I want, there'd be some problems, wouldn't there? But for all of us, there's this question, what I want most in life is, and your answer to this question really defines your life. Whatever is in that blank, that really is what matters most to you. And for each one of us, there's the sense of what this series is, which is God helps us through our suffering and our setbacks and our inconveniences and our distractions and our sicknesses and illness. God uses all those things to reveal who we really are so that he might make us who he wants us to be. So so God allows hardships, and God allows trials, and God allows pain, and God allows suffering so that he might reveal to us what's really going on inside of us, what really matters to us, so that he might make us who he wants us to be. What I want most in life, filling that blank, really does answer a lot for us in our equation and really over the last six, seven weeks, the Lord has been working on that question in my own life during the time away. There was a sense of, uh, one counsel just kind of counseled me to say, look, you've got to be able to answer that question because if not, your ministry will be derailed the rest of your life. There's a sense of, Having to clarify what it is, what's the ambition? That really was what God was kind of revealing to me. Maybe that's the aim this morning, if you will. The aim is simply this, that that we need to have our ambitions revealed and replaced with godly ambitions. Godly, God-word even, ambition. Now, the reality is, is that I want to use the biography of probably one of the most top five most influential persons who've ever lived. I want to use his biography, the Apostle Paul, to help frame what kind of ambitions we need to have because if there's anybody who has faced suffering, if there's anybody who'd faced setbacks, if there's anybody who'd faced roadblocks in life, it was the Apostle Paul. In fact, when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he goes through this whole list of things that he had to endure in his life, from beatings to shipwrecks, to being being persecuted for the cause of Christ. But then he says this, he says this in verse 28, he says, not only do I have all these physical pressures, but there is the daily pressure on me. What is it? My concern for all the churches. So Paul, Paul not only had this layer of physical pressure, but he also had this layer of concern and internal pressure for all the churches that he had helped plant. Paul's ministry was, was to plant churches and to develop leadership, and then he would move on. He was never any one place for too long. The Apostle, the, I mean, the uh, Apollos, uh, he, he was somebody who stayed for a long time. But, but Paul, the Apostle Paul, he would go to a place, he would plant a church, he would build leadership, and then he would leave. So he had this concern for all the churches We see in the book of Philippians really an answer to this question about what kind of ambitions should you have and what kind of ambitions should I have. We need our ambitions to be godly, particularly in this day and time when there seems to be this, maybe this pronouncement about who you are, whereas we need to say, well, how can we make much of Jesus so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 we're going to be starting in verse 12 we're going to read through verse 24 that will help us frame where we're headed today and then we'll pick up some verses in chapter three in a, in a little while but if you're at Philippians chapter 1 starting in verse 12 would you say word now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me is actually advanced the gospel so that it's become throughout Known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone that my, here it is, imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. But others out of goodwill. They preach out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, verse 19, because I know that This will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live... If I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain is better in the flesh is more necessary for you for your sake. You could say the whole book of Philippians is Paul kind of unloading for us his ambition, his ultimate ambition in life, his godly ambition that he has, you see somebody who has such incredible suffering and setbacks and yet his focus remains the same. He doesn't veer off. He doesn't get off in the ditch. He's, he's passionate and, and, and just centered on that which matters the most. But when we read what happens in the book of Philippians, we begin to actually find out that there's things that Paul's facing that we would see as setbacks or roadblocks. There's some roadblocks that Paul faces. We're gonna see how Paul addresses those. The first roadblock was prison. The first roadblock was prison. You could imagine being handcuffed and in jail might be a hindrance to your gospel call. It might set you back just a tad bit if you aren't able to do the very thing that you believe that you were supposed to do. And what was Paul supposed to do? Well, we learned what Paul was supposed to do and. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we learn this. The Lord says to Ananias, he says, go to Paul. He says, for this man is my chosen instrument to take the, my name to the Gentiles, kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The, the mission and the, and the focus of Paul was to go to an unreached people group, the Gentiles. The focus and mission of Paul was to take the gospel message and even pronounce it to kings and all the Israelites. The mission of Paul was to suffer for Jesus. I mean, many of us say, Lord, tell me, just tell me what it is you want me to do. And he says, I want you to suffer for me. And you go, I don't want that. I mean, I thought you were going to send me to like a, a beach and have comfort and the sand wouldn't get my eardrums at all I would just be nice and easy He said, no, 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 your assignment is this, Paul Your assignment is to suffer for my name Your assignment is to take the gospel, plant churches, build leadership, and then leave That's your assignment Paul's call was to go to these Gentiles we, He learns this early on in his ministry and he sets his heart and mind onto those things So you might even say, well, my goodness, being in prison is going to hinder him from reaching Gentiles. Being in prison is going to prevent him from reaching those who are far from God to become followers of Jesus. Paul did not discover his mission and the plan that God had for him from a spiritual gift inventory. I think so many of us will sometimes say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. I should take a test. And when I take this test, maybe then I will find out what it is I'm supposed to do with my life. And that's not how Paul operated. God told Paul exactly what he was supposed to do. But a major roadblock happens in this moment in our minds. He's in prison. In fact, he says it multiple times that he is in prison. But did you notice his perspective of his imprisonment? He says, hey, listen, my, my imprisonment has actually caused the gospel to advance. Like there's not been a throttling of the gospel because I'm in jail. In fact, it's gone even further than I could have ever dreamed it could have gone. In fact, those that are hearing the gospel, they're getting word of the gospel, but then they're growing in the gospel, and now they're sharing the gospel without fear. The perspective that Paul has is immense to go, look, I, I'm seeing, you see this as a roadblock, this pr- imprisonment, but I see it as advancing the gospel. I cannot imagine a bigger roadblock than prison. I've been to prison to visit. So thankful when you can go and visit prisoners and then you can encourage them, but then you can also get out. I've had moments, and I think we've all had moments, where we're confident what God has called us to do. But then something pops up and we feel like it's a hindrance to that mission that God has given us or the vision that God gave us for our life. We think we know what God has called us to do and we begin to do it. But then all of a sudden there's a major roadblock like prison. We might say, God, why would you put this kind of a roadblock in my life? Why would you prevent me from doing the thing I'm, I'm confident you told me to do? And, and maybe this obstacle wasn't an obstacle ever at all. It was just God using that moment to propel the gospel to go forth. But that wasn't just a roadblock of prison we notice something else we notice that there's others that are preaching the gospel and they're look what they're doing they're saying others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition can you imagine somebody preaching Christ with a selfish motive not sincerely thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment this happened routinely throughout the New Testament. This happened in Corinth, this happened in Galatia, and and now Paul's saying, look, this is happening where people people are coming, they're they're preaching in the pulpits that we established and they're doing it and they're wanting to cause me harm in prison. Can you imagine? They're wanting to cause me trouble. They're saying things, they're trying to, here it is, damage my reputation. By saying, Do you think Paul's gospel is any good? Paul's gospel led him to jail. You want that kind of a gospel? And they're preaching this kind of way of selfish ambition, not sincerely. Paul's saying that while some may think there's a roadblock of prison, there's another roadblock of people trying to cause trouble and damage his reputation. Paul in prison can't speak against what these people are saying about him he can't answer back he's, he's blocked out of all the major social media outlets he's prevented from being able to say anything in his own defense and there's a sense even in all of us that when we hear our name being defamed we want to rise up to our own defense that's not what I said that's not what I did how dare you judge my motives all these things come about we want to we want to prevent and have damage control on our image Paul will say, who cares about my reputation? As long as Christ is preached, I'm good. As long as Jesus is made known, even when they do it with ill motives, God will not allow his word to go without void. He he will use it. Another roadblock wasn't just the trouble that he was facing. There was some uncertainty for Paul. Paul, to a degree, didn't know if he was going to make it out of jail. Paul didn't know if he was gonna get a release date. We learn this in Philippians chapter one where he'll say for me to live as Christ die is gain. If I live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. I don't know which one I should do. I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. This is that uncertainty, I'm torn. I'm torn, I don't, I don't know which one I should do. Should I go, this? should I stay? If I stay, I, 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 it's good for you. If I, if I leave, it's, it's, it's good for me. I mean, to be with Christ, I, I'm torn between the two. And while I'm not preaching all of this text, there's a lot more that's going on. I'm trying to get you to understand the situation Paul was in. He's in jail, he longs to be with them and serve them, but he also longs to be with Christ. There's nothing more difficult in life than uncertainty, isn't there? Well, what's going to happen now this is just me and you may be different than me and that's probably a good thing but when i begin to think of scenarios that could be it generally ends up poorly i'll think through a scenario and i'll follow the line of that scenario and it it always tends to end badly i remember as a kid reading choose your own adventure books where you could look at the bottom of the page and you have to make a decision and then you turn to that page and say, well, look, if you want to do this, you go through that door, you go to page 36. If you go through that door, you go to page 87. And so you turn the page and I would always mark my spot because if I turned the page to 36 and said, you're dead, I would go, I didn't make that decision. I really wanted to do that. And I changed my mind. It's like, hey, if you go through that door, hey, you won the million dollars. I mean, this is the truth. Cho- we wanna know the best outcome, but often when we begin to track down our decisions, often we get into spots where it's the worst possible case situation. Sometimes we'll even say to God, God, I don't, I don't care if it's good or bad. Just tell me what's gonna happen. Just tell me what it's supposed, what's, gonna, what's gonna work out here. Just tell me what is what in my life. Just tell me in my life what it is I'm supposed to do. Just tell me in my life what's gonna happen. But for Paul, he, he had this kind of uncertainty, but it was a different kind of uncertainty than we face. When we think the way that I typically think that everything's gonna end badly, there's often discouragement and defeat before you've ever walked out the door. Can I just tell you that there's no grace for what could happen, but there is grace for what does happen? There, there's no grace for what could happen, but there is grace for what does happen. And like we play all these scenarios out. And God says, that's not even gonna happen. You don't even know what you're talking about. You literally have no idea. I do. So trust me, and when these things play out, it's for your good, and he gives us the grace. God's grace is there for reality. God's grace is there for what happens. When we think about the possibilities and the uncertainties in life, that's often where fear and discouragement and defeat creep in. In fact, those things, that uncertainty becomes our idol. It becomes bigger than God. Paul in the situation had no idea what was going to happen, but, but he will make it clear for me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. Either way, because I want Jesus, I win. If I live, I have Jesus. If I die, I have Jesus. Paul wants Jesus. Paul has come to the conclusion that all of, the, all of his life, all that he wants, all he wants is for Jesus and for Jesus to be known. He, he will even pray, Lord, if I could give up my salvation so that all the Jews could come to salvation, that's what I want more. I want Jesus and I want others to have Jesus. Prison, therefore, no longer seems like prison. It seems like a missionary journey. Those preaching those preaching in a way to damage his reputation no longer seem like a threat. It just simply doesn't bother him because he cares about the reputation of Jesus more than his own. Not knowing what's gonna happen doesn't matter to him because there's someone greater waiting for him and his name is Jesus. Paul wants to plant more churches. Paul wants to build more leadership. Paul wants to continue to go on mission. But Paul knows that he doesn't have to be the lead guy to make that happen. Because the lead guy is Jesus. See, if Paul wants his freedom, if Paul wants freedom more than anything else, then he's stuck. If Paul wants his reputation more than anything else, then he's going to be crushed at one comment about his life. If Paul wants to be certain about everything, he's going to be discouraged. Instead, Paul is liberated from all that kind of thinking because of the perspective he has He wants Jesus. You might say, Michael, that's easy for you to say because you don't know what I'm going through, and I don't. But Paul is saying these things. Paul is saying, I'm not being flippant about this, I'm not being cavalier about this. Paul is in prison and he's able to rejoice in his imprisonment. He's able to rejoice in his setback. He's able to rejoice in his discouragement and his defeats. Why? Because he wants Jesus. Jesus is what he wants. So how does, how does Paul really respond to all of this? Well, we see some of that response in chapter two, but we see the response in chapter three as well. Look at chapter three with me. We're gonna start in verse seven of chapter three of the book of Philippians. Paul says, but everything I, that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything, everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Verse nine, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith. In Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal, here's what he says in verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Verse 11 then says, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. My goal, what's my ambition? He's telling us to know him. To know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul has made it clear to us, his response to these perceived roadblocks in his life, his response is, I want to know Jesus. My ambition in life is just to know him and to know him more. There's nothing wrong with a a house with a white picket fence and and two dogs and no cats. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with those things. But those aren't the things that we should be after. We're to be after Jesus. He says, I want to know him. See, so when you when you give up everything, when if you want Jesus and you give up everything in your life for Jesus, you gain so much more in return. It's almost as if it's not even a sacrifice. I'm going to give up all these things, all these, all these things that you would think that somebody would want at this stage of their life. I'm just going to give that up. I'm going to give them over to Jesus. But when you get in return from Jesus, it's so far beyond what you ever gave up. It's really not even a sacrifice. How is it that Paul can go through all this and yet rejoice in the Lord? How is it that Paul can go through all this and still say, hey, I'm happy. The the gospel's advancing. Christ is being preached. If I die, I gain Jesus. If I go with you, which is probably better for you, I get Jesus. So all of your frustration and all of your setbacks and all of your discouragement, and all of your disappointments, when you begin to calculate all those things, if you want Jesus more than anything, you just begin to say, hey, look how God is using all those things to shape me into more to the image of him. When I do premarital counseling, we read a book called Sacred Marriage. There's a simple line from that book. It's it's not the end-all, be-all. It's not the, the best book on marriage, although it's really good. Of course, the best book on marriage is the Bible, I know. But, but the, it's, not the, it's just a really good book. And this is one of the lines that Gary Thomas says. He, he says, marriage is not to make you happy, it's to make you holy. Marriage is not about making you happy, it's about making you holy. If you set out in marriage to be happy, it will not be long before you're disappointed. You say, well, how do you know? Experience. Lots of experience. See, if you set out to to just be happy, the second you have a discouragement or a disagreement or a, not an argument, just a robust dialogue, you know what I'm talking about. Using our words and very loudly, right? You'll be crushed. Oh, what's wrong, sweetie? We had an argument, over what? Toilet paper, right? You're crushed. This is also, also why many men just cower because they want their wife just to be happy. I just want you to be happy. You want a new car? I'll get you a new car. You, you, you want Taco Bell? What we'll do you Taco Bell? Whatever you want, sweetie. I, want to, I just wanna make you happy. And so they begin to, men will often disengage in that moment because they think marriage is all about making her happy because when she's happy, when mama's happy, everybody's happy. I mean, this is what we begin to say. But what if marriage was seen not to make you happy, but to make you holy? So now when you have those robust dialogues, there are opportunities for you as the offender to humble yourself and repent of your sin and confess your sin and turn from what you're doing and apologize and own what you did. When you're offended, it's an opportunity to you, for you to forgive And recommit your commitment, restate your commitment to your spouse. See see how this totally transforms marriage? It's in the same way with the gospel, that when Jesus is your aim in life, when Jesus is your ambition, when Jesus is who you want the most, when all these hardships come in your life, and they come in a variety of levels and and layers, you don't see them as, oh, man, what are we going to do? You go, oh, wow. Look how we get to shine Jesus even brighter. And why are we surprised when the culture just continues to get darker and darker? Light is best used in the darkness. So we don't run away from it. We go towards it and say, listen, let me show you a better way. Let me show you how Christ can redeem these perverse desires or promotions that you're making them of. Transforms us. So the question goes back to this. What I want most in life is blank. What is it for you? See, for for many of us, um, we're at the place where we recognize there's been a lot of other things in that blank. And it might be helpful today for you to take some time just to Write down the things that have been filling in that blank. And and it could be a number of things. I'm right there with you. But but what if today you did two things? The first thing you you did is, is just repent. I think sometimes we like to use this word for all the sinners out there. And it's always somebody else. It's never us. That was a great message. I wish my nephew would hear that. It's always our nephew. What did he do? Repentance is something that every Christian does every day. When we're convicted by the Holy Spirit of the sin that we commit, we repent of our sins. And the Bible's very clear. When you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So you repent. You turn from that which you did. You you begin to say, God, I... I repent that I I haven't wanted you as my ambition. I've wanted all kinds of other things. I want you to help me make you the the one thing I want in this life. So you repent, but then then you seek. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So here's how that works. When you wake up, you say, I want to seek the kingdom today. Not my kingdom. I want to seek his kingdom. I want to seek his righteousness. Before your feet ever hit the ground, I want to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. I want to seek your kingdom and your righteousness today. You begin your day by just calling out to him to make his kingdom your priority. It was his priority. Why not you make it yours? What I want most in life is. my, My dream for us my dream for you is that each one of us, that with all sincerity, can sit here and say, Jesus. So what is it for you? There's a lot of things that you could put in that blank. My hope is that Jesus is the one thing you're ambitious for. And if he is not, that you would take some time to go, Lord, I, it's not been. I want it to be, and ask him to help you do it. Let's pray. Father, we come, and Lord, we, we ask that now as we respond to your good news, the gospel that says not try harder and do more, but it says, hey, turn from what you've done. Seek first his kingdom. Love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, that, Lord, we would respond to your call today. And Lord, as we think about, as we think about this, that our ambition would be revealed, and if it's not you, that it'd be replaced with a godly ambition, which is you. Lord, help us to do that very thing. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, you may be here and want to talk more about what it means to repent and seek the Lord. We'll be here at the front. We have counselors here to talk with you. If you're online, you can... Maybe reach out online and just say you need prayer and someone will contact you immediately. Or maybe for you, you, you your blank has been something different than what it should be. And maybe you, you could do it at your seat or you could do it here at the altar. You come forward and you just lay it down before the Lord. He's calling. He's inviting. Will you respond? Will you stand if you're able and respond as God leads?